Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Will here with Schedule Fly. Maybe a little background noise right now. I'm sitting out here at my favorite coffee shop, Cafe Fiore, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this episode is with Jeff Sizer. Jeff is the executive chef and co owner at Royale in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, my folks live up that way, and my stepmom told me recently she said you're going to royale i was like yeah i'm going to do an interview there she goes man they have the best fried brussels sprouts in the world she says literally the best thing i think i've eaten anywhere (laughs) so uh we'll start with that but jeff is a great dude he's got a lot of experience up in new york working at some phenomenal places five-star places he's done a lot of work with some really big organizations up there and he and his wife um, and kids are now down in, and they live in Durham and Royale is there in Raleigh so he drives back and forth each day 20 or 30 minutes and not only is he an amazing chef man he's a dude who's wise beyond his years and I look forward to you listening to some of the lessons he's learned how he approaches the business, how he approaches leadership and management, things he learned to do, things he learned not to do from his experience in New York. Um, We talked about ego and humbling experiences and just a wide variety of things. We concluded talking about his burger at Royale. And he was mentioning how good it is. And we said, well, you know, he said, I'll cook you one. So that's where we left it. And I said I would give a rating here. And I will tell you this. I even have text to, 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 uh, as evidence. I texted multiple people after having his burger and said that's easily, easily, easily one of the best burgers I've ever eaten in my life. This thing is, well, I won't reveal the secret, but let's just say that it's just a, a patty, Gruyere cheese, and it's on an English muffin. And the way he cooks the meat is phenomenal. I won't reveal it, but let's just say that it's incredible and amazingly juicy, and there is uh, no doubt in my mind next time I'm up in Raleigh, I'm going to go back to Royale and get another one of these burgers. So anyway, y'all enjoy. It's a great episode, and Jeff's a great guy, and it was a lot of fun. See ya. All right, we are live. What's up, y'all? It's Will with Schedule Fly. I'm here in Raleigh. Hanging out at Royale with Jeff Sizer. Uh, Jeff is um, co-owner here and also at Apera right around the corner. Dude is, uh, well, you've had an interesting career, man. You've worked some pretty badass people, so I'm looking forward to learning about it. Um, yeah. Folks, as I, as I told Jeff, I'm going to ask everybody to just take a second and just say why, they, why do you use ScheduleFly? I mean, we use ScheduleFly because it's, it's sort of the modern way to do the schedules, right? Like we... I have, um, in the past, written schedules and posted it on the walls, and you always get the same thing. People don't see it. This way, it's right on their phones. Everybody in our world is on their phones all the time, so it's, it's a super simple way to keep our staff connected. They can switch out, you know, switch out shifts. It just makes life a lot easier for us. Let's them have the power to sort of schedule themselves a little bit. Perfect. Give up shifts, take shifts. It's nice. Keep it simple, man. That's our goal. Yep. Um, all right, dude. Okay, so... I was reading up on you a little bit. I know you've worked for Danny Meyer and I did some other folks. So how did you, what's your story in hospitality, man? Where did it all start? Oh man. So I've been cooking since I was 19 years old. I started young. Um, I actually come from a family of all professors. So it's very interesting that I got into it, but excuse me. Where are you from? Brooklyn, New York. All right, man. Nice. Yeah. So it, 
basically I cooked a lot when I was a kid. I loved cooking and <clears throat> I went to college for a year and it was great. I met my wife. That was sort of what I did there. Yeah. Uh, right. I left immediately. I, I was like, it's not for me. And it was fun. Like I had a good time at college. I got to party. I got to have a lot of fun. And that was the best part because as soon as I started cooking, I was like, I was Hooked. like, I'm in. Yeah. I'm, am I allowed to curse, by the way? Because I, I tend to curse a lot. Hell yeah, you can. <laughs> all right, cool. Curse um, all you want, man. We'll, we'll, uh, awesome. We'll put I just, it, yeah, no worries. I wanted to check on no, that. No, man, I want you to be natural. This should be, you know, I've really, um, when I started this, when we started doing this a few years ago, it was more restaurant, owner, chef, interview. Now, sure. I just, dude, I just like, just chat. it's just conversation. I love it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I went to cooking school, and it was, like I said, it was like the best thing for me because, you know, I was I was like okay this is this is my career like I knew as soon as I went to cooking school I was like shit this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life so it was super awesome I just took it really serious and I was in New York at a really cool time like you know Danny Meyer had owned like two or three restaurants at the time he when was, was this this was uh, 2000 okay got it um 2001 2002 okay so it was like he had a couple restaurants and but you know it was like Jean George was in New York David Burke yeah um, Donatella you had uh, you know just so many big chefs Tom Colicchio and they were all cooking in their own restaurants so it was like this all these chefs now that are sort of uh, what we look up to like the 30 year olds the 40 year olds that were, the chefs that we grew up watching were all cooking there so it was like it was the ultimate sort of legends around you all the time you know uh, Michael Romano I worked at Union Square Cafe so yeah so were they like I mean like they're all well known now. Were they well known then, or yeah, it, they were? Yeah, okay, that's the thing. They were all at the they peak the of their first powers. Sort of, okay, got it. You know, they were like the the celebrity chefs who were, you know, maybe they weren't on TV, right? But they were these chefs, and it was super cool. Like, like I said, I went to cooking school, and then my first job, I was an intern at a place called Montrachet, which was a Michelin starred, three New York Times starred restaurant, French, super classic. Um, really, really, really hardcore kitchen, like tiny, you know, half the size of the kitchen that we have. And it was like four or five cooks. They were all grown ass men. You know, these, these, they were not kids, like what sort of what we, what we have now. And it's, I'm not knocking it cause I love teaching, but these guys were professionals. And so going into a kitchen like that, it was super eye opening. Like was it was intimidating. A, it was intimidating. Um, it was intimidating. They were mean. <laughs> yeah. Like they were, you know, when you talk about the restaurant business and how chefs are, you know, there's like aggressive behavior and anger and stuff like that. These guys like opened my eyes to it because they were brutal to me. But, you know, I was 20 years old and it was like, okay, here's education time. Like, you know, this is how New York is. It's going to be brutal. You got to have a tough skin if you want to make it. But again, it was like every experience is is cool with me like even the stuff that wasn't super fun you know you get beat up a little bit but you learn to take it and you know when I was there I started with I think five interns and by the time my internship was done I was the only one left because everybody else had quit else so, said, so they gave me man. a job it well, was did, cool did it toughen you up it did yeah it did I mean it toughened me up in the sense that like it toughened me up um gave me thicker skin but certainly didn't make me uh sort of aggressive or angry i mean we'll talk about that more after i get through the history but i have like a whole philosophy on how restaurants should be run and how chefs should act in the kitchen because i think it's i think that a change has happened and i think that we're way past the yelling and the screaming it's just not something i do 
Um, so yeah, so it was Montreche. Then I worked for a little Italian place in Brooklyn, which was super fun. I had no one famous, just a cool little Italian place. I had a really great chef de cuisine there who um, taught me a ton. You know, I started on Garmage, I worked my way up. And then from there was the River Cafe in Brooklyn. Again, Chef Steelman, like amazing chef, super talented, really sort of explored Asian flavors. And it was like Asian and French and, you know, there was some Mediterranean in there. And it was just eye-opening. It was a super traditional, like, brigade-style kitchen. You had someone who cooked fish, someone who cooked the veg. Like, so fish roast on Entremont, meat roast Entremont, hot apps, two garmages, and one guy who just cooked lobsters all day long. Mm. And you had prep guys, a whole pastry team. So it was like a big kitchen. And it was cool because I got to work. I started like on the oyster station and worked my way up. And it was one of those things where it's like if you pay attention and you're sort of watching what everybody else is doing, someone calls out and you get the like, hey, the, you know, the, the guy on hot apps called out. Can you do it? You know, are you ready to jump up and do it? And that's sort of how I got started cooking hot and worked my way through that kitchen. Then Union Square Cafe. Um, Carmen Collado is the chef there. He, I think he just left. Um, but he's, I mean, probably the most influential in my career, just in terms of the style I cook. Okay. You know, um, we were at Union Square Cafe. You're directly across the street from the farmer's market. You know, the, the Union Square, the famous Union Square farmer's market. So we would go there every day. His style was rustic, but beautiful. It was like sort of very aggressive, big flavors. There wasn't a lot of like delicate cooking going on what's an example of that what do you mean aggressive big flavors i mean it was just you know lots of hard sears lots of char okay you know like taking like a simple strip steak we'd smoke it lightly grill it hard yeah you know big sauces big flavors okay you know lots of like anchovies and pastas like taking really simple ingredients like tomato anchovy and garlic you can make like one of the best pastas with like a capellini or an angel hair just tons of garlic tons of anchovy lots and lots of chili flakes. Okay. You know, so it's just like learning how to take really simple stuff and make it super beautiful. Um, and again, like if you're to look at pictures of his food and pictures of my food, they're, they're definitely going to be a similarity between the two. Just because I, I think I worked for him for probably the longest time. That was sort of my last job before I was kind of not on my own, but kind of like in a management role. I became okay. a sous chef there. But again, he's just... He's a really talented guy and a super good teacher. Tell me his name again. Carmen Collada. Carmen Collada. I actually don't know okay. where he's cooking right now. I know he was at Union Square Cafe, and I know he left. Okay. But he might be trying to do his own thing. I know he lives in Jersey, and he's got a couple young kids, so he might be there. Um, and then from there... We should find him. You should send him this episode. Uh, you know what I did? I, I, I DM'd him. You know, I sent him a message on Instagram, but he's probably... You know, probably maybe in his 50s now so i don't think he's yeah, he might not even he, he didn't know he has a d yeah. yeah okay um and then i was then i went to the gramercy park hotel um so the myelino another danny meyer restaurant um <clears throat> they were taking over the food service operations for the hotel and opening the restaurant in the in the ground floor so i came on as a sous chef and sort of quickly went to the hotel the hotel side of things me and another guy um sort of took over the food service operations. We were still sous chefs under a guy named Nick Anderer, who's, again, I've just worked for really good chefs my whole career. It's been great. Um, super talented guy, great leader, just super good cook. Again, really simple. But I didn't work directly with him, per se. Like, I was off sort of running the hotel side. We were doing the banquets and running um, – 
the roof club, which is called the Gramercy Terrace, and then doing the food for room service and this, uh, these clubs in New York called the Rose Bar Jade Bar, which were like some of the most exclusive nightclubs in New York. Um, that was a really cool experience. Definitely like the Wild Wild West there because we were working for Danny Meyer, but like he paid our salaries, but we were making money for A.B. Rosen, the, the owner of the hotel. Mm. So it was like, it was a it was a weird environment to be in, but also super duper fun. Um, we were kind of, I was like 26, 27 years old, just sort of running this big, beautiful hotel with Andy Warhol paintings and Damien Hirst and yeah. million dollar paintings all over the place. place it's been there a long time. Huh? That's a famous, yeah. It's a famous place. Um, yeah. And so then, so I was a sous chef there for a while, then I became the banquet chef. And then um, the guy I was working with, his name was Dan Delworth, also again, really talented dude. He left and I sort of was like, I, I want I want to run the hotel. So I got the job and I was in charge of all the food service operations at the whole hotel and I was like like twenty yeah, probably like twenty seven. So it was a it was a kind of a crazy job for me, you know. Definitely Damn. an ego trip. Yeah. Like to be that young and to have a big staff. Um you know, doing really crazy parties like we did, you know, Mick Jagger's birthday dinner and Keith Richards' birthday dinner and cook for presidents. It was it was a really wild Ego, you say. I want you. You say ego trip. <clears throat> you know, I've learned. I'm 45 now. I've sure. had the ego trip episodes in my life, uh-huh. and I've learned the hard way sometimes that you got to be. You got to keep that thing in check. Is oh it, yeah. Did you learn any lessons from that? I mean, no. I think I was too young to learn lessons. Yeah. I, I mean, but I'm fun. saying looking back now. Looking like, back, I mean, you know, I think it was more than an ego trip. I think it was a confidence builder, right? It which was, is really important. Which That's is the, really the, important. the fine line between between those ego two. and confidence. Yeah, you got to yeah. balance them. I mean, it definitely. You know, it definitely ego can lead to confidence is what I say. So you, yeah. you're put in a position where you have to lead and you sort of feel like you should be doing a good job at it. And yeah. if you think that you, you, you know, hopefully you will. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I did, I did it for a while. Um, but again, it was just super fun, really cool staff. Like everybody who worked there was amazing. You know, um, I've just worked with such awesome people. Like my whole career just had really, really good relationships. No, you're um, you're a good dude, man. You you attract good people. And seriously, I mean, I believe in that. Like, there's there's an aura and a karma about people, and and when you have that, then yep. your other people are going to be attracted to you that want to hire you. People that uh, are looking for jobs are going to want to work for you. Sure. I mean, that's yep. And then from there, uh, I got a job offer to be the executive chef for uh, Langham Place Fifth Avenue, which was a five star. You know, 800 room hotel in New York. I mean, executive chef, 50 plus employees, like big kitchen. Yeah. The kitchen was like, like, you know, a full city block. It was massive. We had a kitchen in the basement, um, kitchen on the third floor and then a small kitchen on the roof. So it was, that was, I think that was, um, you talk about that ego and the confidence that was the job that humbled me a little bit because I was, again, I was under 30 and I was one of very few, executive chefs of, of five-star hotels in that age range. Oh, I bet. Um, and there's a reason for that because 29-year-olds shouldn't be running hotels. It's a, it's How'd not you get a, the gig? Like, wh- I mean, they they contacted me. I mean, like, they cold-called me. I was in the kitchen at the Gramercy Park Hotel one night, and I got a call on the phone, and she, just some intern, and she was like, we're looking for a new chef. Do you want to come interview? And I was like, yeah. They called you at, at work? They, they called me at work. <laughs> and so I... Uh, I that's great. I remember because I was like, you know, I looked it up. And I was like, oh, this place is crazy. You know, they, it's a worldwide hotel company. Um, and 
So let's see, you know, I did a couple tastings. I met the GM. The GM was this really magnanimous dude, like six foot five tall French guy, really well dressed. I remember I was interviewing with him and I kept looking at his watch and I was just like, Jesus, this dude is, he's, he's, he's fucking on it. And I think now he's the general manager for the Taj Mahal in New York. Really big, yeah, yeah. You know these the the GMs of New York hotels they move around a lot, and it's yeah, like yeah. you keep getting bumps up in money. Um, yeah. And yeah, they made me a, a big old offer. It was like huge salary, full benefits for everybody in your family. It was so dope. But um, it's it's a really hard job for a young person to have because you you think it's you think cooking is all about passion, but there are those jobs out there that are not at all about passion. And this was the job that I should, I should have looked at it and been like, oh shit. Like, I remember on my first, like my quarterly, uh, like, you know, review with my general manager and the food and beverage manager, they said, you know, our biggest complaint is you spend too much time in the kitchen. Now I was sort of like, what? You know, right. that's my job. And they're like, no, your job is to attend meetings. Your job is to be the leader of your department. Your job is to do the schedules and the payroll and, wow. you know. To take care of the, you should spend sixty percent of your time in the office. I was like, Fuck. Um, and I only stayed there about a year. Uh, I left pretty abruptly. It was a, a mutual thing. I didn't really want to be there. They didn't really want to have me. They needed someone. Sixty percent of your time in the office. Yeah, was, yeah that's not for it, right. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's for the right person. It's probably for great. The right but, person. It's an amazing job. Yeah. You know? um, and. I mean, my wife was seven months pregnant at the time. I had just moved into a new house. It was like, but, you know, when those jobs and those hotel jobs, they're 24 hours because the hotels never stop, right? Food service never stops. You know, yeah. there's always people coming and going. And, yeah. you know, she's I mean, with we your had, first. Huh? You're, she was pregnant with your first? first. Okay. So. Oh, this um, is like six years ago. Then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I, um, I was super duper lucky. I. There's a salumi company in New York called Salumeria Bielese. And I had worked with their products, sort of known some of them, the, the owners. Um, and a friend of mine said they're looking for a chef to run their New York facility, which was like a deli, um, a northern-style Italian restaurant, and a USDA facility in the basement. The USDA facility, we primarily did, uh, primarily did like chicken sausage because all the cured, the actual cured meats were made in New Jersey where they had like a cultured, cultured rooms to do it. So we did a lot of fresh sausage there, but it was so, it was such a fun job for me. Like, again, they sort of matched the offer I was making at Langham. So I was still like financially, I was doing well. Um, and I just got to cook. It was like, I had spent these past like six or seven years like in these big hotels like just sort of doing really big things and banquets and crazy stuff and caviar and champagne and it was like oh shit like I'm just gonna cook Italian food every day I'm just gonna go in and work the line like I'm still this chef and they can bring me to events and it was cool but it was awesome I just cooked I just cooked pasta for two years it was like the best thing for me you know it's like, this is all I want to do. Oh, man, you light up talking just, about it. <laughs> I do, because, like, you know, uh, our careers take us down certain paths, and there's, like, there's things you know you should be doing and things you really want to be doing and things that you think you want to be doing. And I, yes, thought, right. I thought I wanted to be the big-time executive chef wearing fancy coats and, you know, going to all the events. And, I, and that job made me realize very quickly that I just want to fucking cook. Yeah, man. And, like, it's... 
you know, I've sort of brought that. And then and then I moved down here. And now why'd you move here? I moved here. My wife is from Durham. Okay. Um, and I'd been trying to open a restaurant in New York for a long time. Probably the whole time I was at Salou Maria, I was sort of, they knew that I was cool with them about it. I was like, Hey, I want to do my own thing. Yeah. And they were like, great. This is a great job for you to be. We need you for X amount of hours a day. You don't need to be here mentally. Just cook some good food and have some fun. It's awesome. Um, so I basically tried for two and a half plus years to open a restaurant in New York and met some good people and met, had a good a fun partner that we like a financial guy but we just we could never raise enough money we could never find the proper space and you know new york is it's just it's like unless you're chase bank or old navy it's it's kind of hard to hold down real estate you know <laughs> yeah um and my wife and i had sort of been talking about like let's get out of new york and i've been i'd been coming down to the to durham my wife and i've been together 18 years so i've been coming down to durham for a long time and i sort of saw the food scene getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it was like, I remember one year we came down and the, do you remember whiskey in downtown Durham? I don't, I don't, it's all good. It's this huge whiskey bar. Yeah. And they had the dopest collection of whiskeys I had ever seen in my life. Oh, I've heard somebody told me it's not there. It's not there anymore. Yeah. They closed. Um, I think Kevin over at Dram and draft told me about yeah, that. Place. I, it's, it's, it was legendary. It was so huge. And it was just like sexy leather banquettes and yeah. you could smoke cigars in there. It was like the coolest place. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, Durham's going to happen. And then Matt Kelly opened Mateo's and I remember eating there and just being like, whoa, like there's really good food happening here. Yeah. You know, and it was sort of an eye opening experience for me because I was like, wow, you don't need to be in New York to be a great chef. You don't need to be in New York or Chicago or L.A. to do something meaningful with food. Um, and then, you know, we travel, we go to like Louisville where our family is. We go out to eat. And it was like, man, this, you know, all these great chefs, everybody's moving south, you know, West, everybody's going smaller and you know we live in a world now where everybody's a foodie yeah right like absolutely. everybody loves good food there's sure. no there's no uneducated people when it comes to food anymore there the population is getting much smaller when it comes to good food and fine dining and and opinions about good food yeah absolutely and so yeah i was just like let's move down here let's do it um we did it i had an opportunity to open something in durham it didn't really work out but then i met my partner will like happenstance um a guy that i randomly met down here introduced us he said hey my, my friend will's opening a restaurant in downtown raleigh he owns this great place stanberry will and i met for a beer one day he was like hey why don't you come work for me I said, great you know i'll be the chef i'll open the restaurant and then through that we had an opportunity um the three of us myself jesse and will had an opportunity to buy out the guy who was paying for this and the other place and it was like we were all just sort of working for Will one day, and then the next day we all just sort of like emptied our bank accounts and uh, and opened and opened these two restaurants. So we went from being like same time, same time. Well, that one was already opened. It okay. was a at the time it was a sort of breakfast coffee shop called uh, Lucarne, and since obviously we closed it and reopened it as a Paro, and it's it's doing really well. Um, but this place was still under construction when that happened so royale was under construction royale was under construction and by under construction i mean that jesse will and myself were doing it will okay. is a commercial contractor oh, okay so we didn't have a contractor we were painting and nailing and will taught me how to tile walls and <laughs> it was really cool it was a cool experience so um, you you got your you got your hands in a lot of this i mean yeah I've, I've, you know i varnished this that's and, awesome you know i mean literally everything in here was done by us 
just that's a big thing. I, it's, like, it's when I'm, it, it's not only I, I think just for the you know the feeling that you really had so much to do with it, but God, that saves a lot of money, doesn't oh, it? Oh man, I mean, like a contractors are so expensive. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a averse builder per se. I don't know exactly you know all the ins and outs of, of construction, but I do know that it is a, a big cost. Um, so having someone like Will is sort of. He's also got an amazing vision for how a restaurant should look. I mean, you look around, he, all the like the little details, like this cool antique painting or these, right. these you know saloon doors or. Those things are sweet. Know, he oh, picked it all saloon out. Doors, huh? You know, yeah, it's like cool. he he had a lot of the stuff in a wood shop he owns. Uh huh. Um, I want to meet. I've spoken to Will. I've never actually met him. He might he might pass by today. Oh really? Yeah, he's supposed to be coming to fix some things for me. So, That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Good for us. So. Cool. Um, Save you on the planet. I mean, you know, he's got this great vision, and it was sort of like, shit, this is this is cool. You know, we're doing it ourselves. Like, it felt really good to sort of move down here and be in a position where I'm like, I'm scrapping it out, but yeah. I'm doing it for myself. You know, it was it was cool. When did y'all open? Three years ago, three and a, uh, three plus four years ago, something. Like that. Okay. Yeah. How long did it take to get this thing built out? Um, I mean, uh, from when I moved down here to when we opened, I moved down in June, July, August. Four months, four and a half months, but it was already moving was already, along. Okay. Uh, why? Why'd you name it Royale? I don't know. It's, it says actually really funny. Um, that's kind of the. That's one of the questions that I've been asked the most in interviews, and there's no real answer to it because it was already named Royale when I came on the project. Oh, it was. And who I, named? Was that? So it was another guy that we worked with who actually ended up doing something else. Oh. His his wife was just like, you should name it Royale. Like Royale with cheese, I guess. And, <laughs> From and everybody fiction. was just sort of like, "Yeah, you know, you know that." Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what I, when I heard the name a few years ago, I was like, "Royale with cheese." Yeah, There's yeah. using schedule fly now. Yep. All right, I love that. <laughs> that's um, cool. Yeah, it was very anticlimactic. It was just sort of like, "That's the name," I guess. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, so that's that's how that's that's kind of the story, and now I'm here. I love it, man. So okay, now and, and y'all, the three of you, put your money into it. So you guys are. Uh, you don't. You didn't get any other investors. No, uh, we had some. We have some really awesome, generous people who have helped us out along the way. Okay. There's a Will had a lot of friends in town. Yeah. Who sort of pitched in yeah. a little bit of money for you know, sort of no equity, but just like hey, you know, it wasn't huge amounts. But yeah. It was just okay. little bits to get us through. Gotcha. Um, and it, you know, it's it's the Raleigh community sort of helping each other out. You know, everybody wants good things here, and people are willing to you know to get involved to make things happen and that's kind of what happened it's an awesome location right? man yeah it's a phenomenal location yeah, this it's park good. i bet that's you are glad this thing opened back up that was closed down for like what two years or two something years like yes yeah, it, it was two years it's nice to look at i mean it hasn't really it hasn't really like, yeah. hasn't like you know crushed business like yeah, i mean yeah. our, our numbers are the same as they okay. always were um but it's definitely a nicer place to look at than a construction site yeah it's opened up a little bit of parking which is nice yeah so. yeah well yeah. T- okay so tell me about royale Royale is a, um, for all intents and purposes, we call it a French bistro, but it's it's not in sort of many senses of the word. We have things that you would find at a French bistro. We always have steak frites. We always have moules, like mussels, you know, mussels and fries. We mm-hmm. always have um, sort of classic things. Right now we have duck à l'orange on the menu. Um, <clears throat> there are things that you would find at a classic French bistro that we have. Um, but it sort of stops there. There is no, there's no laurels to classics. We don't, I don't, don't really care about cooking um, 
traditional dishes, I like using traditional techniques, right? Like, so we do, we're very focused on buying seasonal products, buying stuff. So much of that around here too. Of course I mean, that's is. one of the great things about the culinary scene yeah. here is in North Carolina. It's just almost year round. You're getting all kinds of great it's, fresh. It's, it's one of the most agriculturally sound places I've ever mm. been it's a part amazing. of. And it's, I like, I, I really think uh, it really sparked off for me. I mean, recently, like I've always loved the farmer's market, but I think this summer, you know, beginning of, beginning of last fall, I guess I'd say, it's like, it really hit me. I was like, fuck man there is just the most and the farmer's market is like two miles from here yeah so i go daily you know and you just walk around you pick your product and so you know we decided that we weren't going to cook what people thought should be in a french bistro we were going to cook what what needs to be cooked yeah and that's what's there what's local to us what fish can we get what you know what meat can we get what vegetables can we get so i try to be really 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 on top of seasonality just in terms of my menu. Um, so it's like, okay, so we do duck a l'orange, but we do it with market sweet potatoes, right? We do like a sweet potato palm with vanilla bean and maple syrup. It's super nice and rich. Um, but then like we toast marshmallows on it. You know, things we do that keep us classic. We, I love being rooted in traditional sauces. I think it's kind of an art that, that is not dying, but it's not used as much. Okay. Um, you know, like making a demi-glace, reducing that down, roasting chicken bones, you know, pinsaging that with tomato paste and red wine, and then adding that to your already made stock and reducing that down and straining it. Dude, stop. You're making me fucking drool, man. I, seriously. <laughs> but it's like, uh, you know, it's, mm. that, it's that sort of classic level of cooking mm. that I think makes us French, mm-hmm. but everything else in terms of our style of cooking is not really French at all. There's a ton. I mean, Italian is what I've cooked my whole life. It's what I grew up yeah. eating. Um, so, you know, like I'm actually this season, I'm trying to blanch a lot of vegetables. I'm trying to keep everything really sort of clean and French, but you know, I mean, for so much of so much of what I've done is taking vegetables and tossing them with olive oil, garlic and chili and roasting them in the oven hot and blistering them. So, you know, like those are your, you know, when you talk about like French versus Italian, you've got those like two very distinct things. Like in, in Italian cuisine, they tend to, they tend to look for the, the, the caramelized flavors of things where in French cooking, you're sort of going for a more softer approach. Okay. So, you know, we, we vary from that, but I mean, we do kind of whatever we want. Yeah. I hear you, man. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. I can yeah. tell you love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, um, but you live in Durham. I live in Durham. Okay. Yeah. Raleigh, Durham, both just, I mean, amazing people, amazing culinary Killer. scene. I find myself, that's all I'm doing now. It's like every week I either come here or go there or whatever to do these podcasts. It's it's amazing how many people are just, yep. God, I mean, I came across Sean. I went there. I was like, dude, Sean Stokes, man. Sean's awesome. Shout out to Sean. Yeah. Total badass. Um, great dude. Um, okay, so you've got a five-year-old. And a two-year-old. Two-year-old. Two, today. Two, two today. Two today. Okay. Yeah. Daughters, five, sons, two. Yep. Tell me about that. And I want to I ask you about balance. Sure. You know, one of the things, that I want to ask you about balance, and I want to ask you about what's changing in the, in the kitchen, because you talked about, like, these dudes that are grown men, as you said, and they're, they're hard, and they're tough, and they're yelling, and most people couldn't hack it. And, gosh, more people probably would have put up with it maybe back then than even would now. Like, I don't think anybody puts up with that no, shit anymore because it's like, you know, screw it. It's not worth it. <clears throat> that, it's interesting to me the 
finding the balance of running a successful restaurant, which is hard, mm-hmm. running a successful kitchen and creating great cr- food and, and constantly creating, which is fun and challenging, and, and, and but also draining. Yeah. Uh, so you have that going on. Uh, restaurants are always a lot of hours. There's always something that goes wrong or some fire to put out. And you've got a family yep. and you've got your health. You've got your physical health. You've got your mental health. Sure. People seem to be more dialed into that now in, in the hospitality world, which I think is fantastic. Scott Crawford and I talked last week a lot about all this stuff. How do you balance all that stuff, man? And what are you focused on in your life right now as it relates to that? Huh. It's interesting. Like I, I find that um Balance is a, is a really interesting term. I find that I'm always, you sort of feel like you're not, you're not giving enough to either. Yeah. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, obviously family, right. My kids, my wife, like they're the most important thing to me. But again, like I, you know, beyond just running a business, like I have a passion that I just can't, like, I just, I fucking love to cook, Yeah. you know, and it's, and it's, it's in me, you know, it's, it is what I am. Um, I like to say that really good chefs and really good cooks that that's kind of how you define yourself, you know, like, well, look, man, you found that. I mean, count yourself lucky, man. I think a lot of people go through life and they, they may not even ever, there's some of it's just serendipitous or whatever. You realize like, holy shit, I really love cooking. You may find that out at 50 years old or something like, you know, and then all of a sudden it just clicks. So you found it early. It's there. It will never change. It will never change. And I think the balance for that now is realizing that actually the most important job I have is being a dad. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I've actually been super duper lucky because my, my wife works. She's great. She's amazing. Um, she works a full-time job. I work a full-time job, but our schedules work out, not necessarily for each other, but they work out pretty well for our kids. Great. Um, yeah. I spend a lot of time with my son in the morning. And, you know, when for the, pe- for the past two years, when he wasn't in school, I would sort of have him from when she and my daughter went to school and work. Um, I would have him until either, like, you know, between, like, 12 and 2. Yeah. So I always got to spend time with my with my son in the morning. And same thing with my daughter when we were living in New York. It's just sort of how the schedule worked out. Like, I could always go in later. So I found that that's, that's been sort of really amazing for me is being able to run a restaurant at night and be a chef. And then during the day, I'm a, I'm a parent. And it's, it's dope. Like, I... You get any sleep? A little bit. I mean, it's not too bad. I don't get done here super duper late. Like, you know, there's horror stories about it, but the hours here are good. Like we, we made a conscious decision to not do lunch. Uh, We did at one point and just decided like, "Mm, it's, you know, we need too many people and it's too much of you know, I'd have to be in at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so now it's like, I can get in and today I'm here early because I got a bunch of special dinners going on, which are super fun. Um, But yeah, it's, it's nice. You know, I, I find that honestly, and, and I almost hate to say this because I don't want to jinx it, but this is the this is the easiest my life has ever been as a chef. That's awesome. Is being here and running the restaurant. I have good partners, like you know my partner in the morning, Jesse. I uh, he does all the pastries and, and the desserts, and he makes the ice creams, and he um, runs the kitchen at the other place. But he works mornings, so he's in super duper early. He you know has the kitchen to himself. He does his thing. And then we sort of transition in the middle and he sort of takes care of a lot of the financial stuff. He sort of keeps his eye on the prize. Yeah. And I've sort of been really, really lucky to be able to just come in and fucking cook. It's fucking awesome, dude. It's sustainable. It's I mean, sustainable. that's a big it's, thing. Like, it is. You had a lot of these folks that back in the day, they're, you know, 
they're hard charging. They're doing great stuff. They're they're the names out there all over the place. But yep. they're you know they have all these physical issues or sure. psychological issues or both oh, yeah. and. People are, you know, people are abusing drugs and alcohol to co. I mean, it's just the industry's moving in the right direction. Oh, it is, and I think that you know, it's something that I've noticed too. Is like, so you know, when you're in your 20s, you, you party and you have a lot of fun and yeah. you enjoy it, and then like, I mean, it was probably like about, probably right after my daughter was born, I, I sort of said like, oh shit, like my body will not sustain this. Uh-uh. You know, like I need to, I need to get in the gym, I need to bike yeah. ride. And now exercise is such a huge part of it because I, it's not just that it's like meditative and it makes you feel good and you, you, know, you feel good about your, your you, you go to the gym and you feel confident, right? You walk out of there and you feel like you can come into work and be better at your job. But there's also the, like, you got to care, especially in this business because man you know if you break down your body when you're 45 years old like what are you going to do right you yeah. can't cook you can't right. stand on your feet like i'm i'm always like i love like again we talked about ego but like i love the fact that i can work the line all night long you know and still kill it and you know have the physicality to be a what good do you cook. do that's an interesting thing because i know in fact scott mentioned this last week how he has his posture has suffered from you know yeah. Yeah. okay well then what kinds of things do you do i mean like do you do you do deadlifts or something to strengthen your back? I do. Get, I mean, what, I like, do like a traditional sort of weights and stuff like that. Um, you know, I try to like, I try to stretch every day, you know? Yeah. yeah but it's, it's, it's a brutal job. I had never body. really thought about the physical toll that yep. being a chef would take being it's on a, your feet and being hunched over and looking down. Yep. Like I, it never occurred to me until yep. he said that, but now it's really makes a lot of sense. Yep. And that is my gosh, you're right. If you don't take good care of yourself, you won't, you won't be doing that sure. long whether you still love it and whether you still have the passion and you even have the the you know you're not having any other issues and your body just won't let you your body just won't let you do it it's it's oh, it's a really man. true thing and like now i see all the the chefs that i you know that i grew up with and sort of the people a little bit above me they're like triathletes now you know yeah, it's like right it's like you get this this you know because a chef we're all sort of um we can become very hyper obsessed with things Uh so like even Uh just working out it becomes a thing you know like ask my wife like i'll be like i gotta go to the gym i gotta work out you know i gotta take a bike ride because i'm like a i'm like a fucking race dog you know i gotta like dude get the energy out somehow i cannot tell you how much i relate to that yeah 100 man go crazy if you're gonna do something you're probably gonna do it freaking full like i'm not just gonna be like "Ah, i may go to the gym some it's like Fuck that. Like, I'm either not going to go and, like, obsessively not go yep. or I'm going to freaking go yep. and it's going to be part of my life. That's right. But you know what, man? It's, it's the whole thing, like, you said thing, you know, you get on the airplane. They're like, if you got kids and something happens and the oxygen comes down, you got to take it first. Right. Because you got to be able to take care of your kids. Sure. It's just a metaphor for that, right? Like, you have Absolutely. to do it to – because if you break down and then you don't have – you can't do your job, then you can't help provide for your family. Sure. And then they suffer. So it's not – it's a – it's an investment. It's not a yep. you know. Ah, I got to do it for me. It's more. I'm making an investment into it. it absolutely longevity is. of you know something that benefits my whole family and my employees and my investors right. and or partners and everybody. Because you hear me. about it, people are like, "Oh, my knees are going, my back's going, mm-hmm. your feet." Yeah, like your feet are such an important part of your yeah. body. You stand on them all the time, and unless you really do, unless you work in a kitchen or you work in yeah. a hospital or something, like people don't understand what foot pain really can do to you. It can. It's fucking the worst it hurts you know? your back and shit hurts your like, back it yeah. just ruins you and I, I took like a i took a crossfit class once it, now the funny part about it is that i actually hurt myself in the crossfit class 
But everybody does, everybody man. Does. It's like everybody, everybody pushes so hard and they all get hurt. The That's guy what. who was running the class said something really interesting. He said, well, what are your fitness goals? He said, my fitness goal, he said, I don't really care how I look. He said, my fitness goal is to be able to keep up with my kids. That's what my goal is. Right? Keep yeah. up with your kids because they yes. they're run you out. Yeah. And so it's that. And luckily, they're young enough now that I don't need to worry about that. But for me, it's like, yeah, in 10 years, that is my fitness goal. And right now, it's to keep up with my cooks like to yeah. keep up with them and to to prove to them that even though i'm older than all of them like physically i'm i'm i'm, I'm good you know like Dude. you know you gotta you know fucking keep that ego going yeah you do you man be able to cook a line you gotta do some sprints check this out so my son i've got uh, three kids my daughter's yeah. 15 and i have a 12 year old son and a 10 year old son well that's always been my goal that's been my ambition when i was i'm 45 when i was about after Brooks. I was about 33. I think it was after William was born, about 12, 13 years ago. He's third. Yeah. My wife was, uh, she had a trainer and, uh, you know, after, um, having two kids, she's like, I'm getting a trainer. I was like, hell yeah, go for it. Well, she had some, she was sick one day. I was like, I'll go, I'll go to your trainer, your trainer. Fine. I'll just go to the trainer. Like we don't have to pay, you know? And I'm like, okay, what can she do to me? You know, I'm in good shape, blah, blah. She's like, go do some pull-ups. I was like, well, I could do freaking 18 pull-ups in high school, man. I, could, I couldn't do one pull-up. Yeah. Not one. So I was like 33, 34, and uh, I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is not good. Like, this is going to – where does that lead? Where will I be in 10 years? Sure. I got these kids. Like, I want to keep up with them. So it lit this fire, which I bet you can relate to. It yeah. lit this fire that day. Yeah. And I was like, this will not burn out. I will make this a part of my life, and I will absolutely do this forever. So I got really into it. And and then so my, my son, my middle son, we race up the stairs at night. And uh last couple months he started beating my ass. And I was like, <laughs> shit, this sucks. I was like, hold on. And I started doing hill sprints and stuff and I started doing more squats and I, and I beat him like a week ago and it was like the greatest thing that's happened to me in forever. I was like, best. see, yep. You got to work hard to keep up with your old man, but I think it's a it's a cool thing to, and they like it too. They love love it, you know. Like if you if you're a dad and you're running or a mom and you're running around with your kids and you're not, man, it's just great. It just enhances that relationship with them. Oh man, really cool. And my family is like my wife and I are very similar in the sense that like we're both, um, we both cannot sit still. Like Mm. we're just go go go. Yeah, you know, like there's. There's not like if we're sitting in the house and we're not doing anything like it's just it doesn't feel right to us. So it's like we you know, we go for hikes. We we go on walks. We're always out doing things. And my daughter is like she's like this little jacked athlete. Like She's got abs. You know, yeah. she does gymnastics and like she's oh, five man. and she yeah. can fully swim. So it's like going to the pool with my daughter is a big thing we do. You know, I'm, I'm, my son is a is kind of clumsy, but he's all in like he's all in on running and jumping and falling and so he's going to be you know they're both going to be handfuls like i could just see them both being just like amazing athletes in their you know in, in high school and just yeah sort of crushing it so yeah i was like oh yeah no no i gotta keep up with these kids well you got you got tons of energy and your wife does and then you're gonna have these kids you know it's gonna be interesting to see what happens when they get in school man that's we have one that's you know it's like they're like well he can't pay attention and he needs you know he's i'm like well make him interested like because he's got a really big fucking engine like yep. don't slow him down like you know but push him. It, the problem with this you know it gets tough in school because they you know you need to be able to sit and be quiet sure. or whatever so it's interesting but um 
maybe maybe they'll be uh, maybe they'll carry on the family tradition, man, and be chefs one day. You got to have that energy. You got to have a lot of energy. You got to have a lot of really passionate energy and positive energy. Sure. Um, sure. And but along with that, you have to sort of be able to doubt yourself a little bit. Like you yeah. have to sort of question yourself sometimes. Like I oftentimes I'll like I'll sort of like be sitting at home and I'll be like, oh, the fucking menu sucks right now. Like you didn't you didn't do a good job. Like go into work tomorrow and change the whole thing. And yeah. I, I do that often. Like I like to question myself on like like is what I'm doing good enough? Am I pushing? Am I like you know, are my flavor profiles right? Are people learning in my kitchen? And it's it's also a big part of being a good chef is sort of taking a few minutes to to be like, uh, I could do better. You know? Yeah, push yourself. You yeah, push for yourself. sure. You got to push yourself, but you also the problem with this type of personality, in my experience, you got to push yourself, but you also got to know when you're pushing too hard sure. and expecting too much, and you're too you can get too hard on yourself. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It's finding that balance. Okay, so what? Tell me about your philosophy. You mentioned earlier, you know, you grew, you, you were in New York. You got these, you know, all this yelling and all this stuff. It toughened you up. You learned. You made it through. You, you took the situation and said, I'm going to make the best of it. And go. What's, your, what's your philosophy on how a kitchen should be run? Um, I sort of feel like, yeah, again, like, as you, like you said, growing up in New York, a lot, of, there's a lot of anger in the restaurant business, right? A lot of aggression. And, you know, you, you, everybody talks about, like, sort of the folklore of chefs and how they're yellers and screamers. And, and it, just, it, it just never fucking sat right with me. It was just like, why, you know? How are you supposed to... Well, our job is so much based on the, the love, right? The love of our craft, the love of our fellow co-workers. You know, how can you create something wonderful with, when everybody around you is tense? Yeah. You know, when your cooks are tense and when you're... You know, your front of house is nervous to bring a dish back to the kitchen or they know they can't ask you to put French fries on this instead of Brussels sprouts. It's like... Man, that energy, it, it fucking zaps you and it yes. zaps everybody around yes. you. Yes. You know, and I've worked in kitchens where you're like, where you feel that tension and it, is, is anybody actually doing a good job during those moments? Probably not. And maybe they're doing okay because of fear, but wouldn't you rather work in an environment um, where people are doing it because it's fun? Right? Like, this is not. We're not brain surgeons. We're not doctors. We're not saving lives. We're not doing really important stuff. We're just cooking food. So like everybody involved in it should be enjoying it because our job is to make sure that the people sitting at our tables are enjoying it. Well, how can you bring that love, that type of energy to people if they, if you don't have it yourself? So it's like, I just, it, it only know. benefits you too. If look, if if you're like that and people are intimidated, they're scared to be honest, they're scared to say, can you put fries or whatever, they're, you're limiting them. They're not going to do their yeah. best work, nope. which means that your team is not going to do its best work, sure. which means that you're not going to get the most benefit out of it. And it's it's a it's a really unfortunate thing. I think a lot of people that become really successful that you can find that sometimes yeah. that, you know, it's my way or the highway and they have a big ego and that's what I was saying. About, you know, but like, dude let it go and let people thrive around you will actually be the beneficiary of the byproduct of other people mm-hmm. feeling like they can thrive and be do what they want to do and sure. be creative within some parameters then you actually do better sure <laughs> like, absolutely i mean you know in terms of what food hits the table and what 
you know what goes on the menu obviously it's my say if i don't like it it's not going to happen but that being said everybody in my kitchen gets influenced like someone comes to me and shows me a way they've done it and i like it awesome um i've got this amazing chef to cuisine her name's roxy she's a rock star um she's young and she's hungry and she's she really is the tough person in the kitchen like she sort of runs the show and i i like you know i defer to her on a lot of things in terms of you know, cleaning and, and stuff, and, you know, ordering, and she does a ton for me to make my job so much, so much easier. But she's also learning creatively, and it's like people don't want to be stifled. People just want to. This job can suck. Right? Yeah. You're gonna burn yourself. You're gonna cut yourself. You're gonna work long hours. It's right. hot. It's like all these things in our environment make it kind of miserable. So why not be a leader that just wants to embrace the fun of it all? Yes. Right. You know, it should be like some days, you know, you get stressed and you're like, oh, today is going to be a day. But then other days I like sit in my car and I'm like, fuck, yeah, man, like I'm just going to go into work. I'm going to go to the market. I'm going to stop by Bolt of Bread. I'm going to come and have a good time, come up with a special. It should just be a fun environment. You know, and there, there are times that I get angry. Everybody gets angry. Um, I think with the, the count right now is seven times that I've yelled in three years, maybe eight. It's a, it's a legitimate number um, where I've actually gotten angry during service and had to like, there are times as a chef where you have to just be like, it's not going well right now. No one is doing their job well enough. Yeah. Um, I, te- I try to very, I very hardly try to not single people out, say like, you're fucking up. That's wrong. This tastes like shit. I yell at everybody all at once. And I yell very quickly. I say like, you know, Hey guys, we're falling behind. We're doing a really bad. Like, but I, but I, I love to be brutally honest. So I'll just be like, we're all doing a very terrible job right now. You guys are not doing a good job. Do a better job. Move faster. And then sort of, I'll take a second. I'll reset. I'll, I'll generally speaking, I'll get rid of all the food that's sitting in the window, because it it came from a place of tension and anger. And I'll literally be like, okay, buy everybody a glass of champagne. The food's going to be five more minutes. And then I start over again. I walk mm, away. I like that. And I come back. And I'm and like I, I don't stay angry. I never have. It's just not a thing. I'm kind of a mellow dude. So like I get mad, boom, I react. I, my fire goes, and that's it. And then I come back, and I'm like, cool guys, all right, let's do this. You know, I never do, hold it. Do you um when you do that? Do you? I like how you because you said you know we're doing like you don't single people out. No. I always heard like one of the things I learned early on was you know. Uh, praise in public and, and uh, critique in private. Right. Um, I think if you if you go to your team and go, right, we're not doing well right now. That's on me because I haven't motivated you. Sure, we've got to do like I need to motivate you. I got it. We got to do better. Yep. Like is if because when you do that, then all of a sudden it's like you know you're kind of maybe you're slack or whatever. But it's like okay, he took ownership for this. Now sure. like I want to fuck man. He didn't even blame me. Like and I'm kind of the one. Sc- Shit, it makes you almost oh, like it doubly always, it motivated. Always it's always one person who starts the downfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like one guy or and girl. And it cascades. They, they stayed out too late. They're hungover. Yeah. They're feeling like shit. You know, like they came in late. Yeah. It always starts from one person. But again, it's like you want to put that responsibility on your entire team. Yeah. You know, I'm super lucky because like I've, uh, I've held on to good people and I like... Everybody just does their jobs for me. Uh, you know, it's so funny. So many of y'all say, I'm lucky because I have these good people. Yeah, I hear you, man. But, you know, you're humble because the reason you have them is because you, you treat them well and you're good to them and you respect them. And people want everybody. You know, one thing I've learned, man, I don't know a lot of things that I'm 
positive about, but I know that everybody wants validation, which is why if you go to, if somebody comes to you and says, could we do this? You're not going to go, hell no, damn it. No, you're going to say, Hey man, that's a good idea. And I like it. Right. I'm going to choose not to because, but let me explain why like that all of a sudden you've, you win them instead of taking that opportunity to yell at them. And when they're just like, you know what? Screw this guy. Like, I'm only going to be here as long as I have to be, but I'm looking out. They're like, I really like this. I like being a part of this. Somebody gives a shit about what I think. Sure. Maybe they didn't take my idea, but at least he validated it. Yeah. Now I feel good and I want to work hard for it. Sure. And that's why you have good people, my friend. Why come to work if you don't, you know, if you're not going to get, like, I, I love praise, by the way. Praise is my favorite thing in the world. I love, like, I'm a really affectionate father. I love yeah. to kiss my kids yeah, and tell yeah, them how yeah, yeah. beautiful yeah. and smart and handsome and wonderful they are. And I do the same thing to the people around me, like, compliment people every day. Like, oh, I really like, I like, it's a cool shirt. And, you know, it. like, great job with the family. I love compliments. I just, I like making people feel good. I mean, it's why, it's why I do what I do, right? Like, we cook because we enjoy the outcome of it. Not just the food we cook, but the the experiences we create in people's lives, right? Yeah. They're, the, the, the culinary world, we have this opportunity to create singular moments of happiness. They're mm. not lasting, right? They're, you come and you sit down and you have this little tiny escape from all the shit that's going on in whatever, your world, your life, your job, your politics, all that shit. You can leave it at the door and you can just come in and have a drink and feel the tension go away and just have fun, you know? For me, it's not about cooking the best food in the world or giving the best service or serving the best cocktails or serving the best drinks. It's the overall experience of, like, I can I can sort of control your, your two hours with me yeah. and make them really entertaining and make them worthwhile, right? Yeah. You can waste people's money, but you can't waste their time because you can never get that time back. So it's like, to... Take it serious in the sense like you're, I have a responsibility for everybody that comes in. They're here to escape for a little bit and enjoy something and it's it's my job. I can't do that if I'm angry. I can't do that if I'm not having fun. And everybody feels it. It's why we like, at nighttime, like on a Saturday night, like I'm feeling the vibe. We play the same music in the kitchen that we do in the dining room. It's bumping, it's loud. Some people fucking hate it. I mean like that's honestly our worst Yelp reviews are always because People are like, what kind of fine dining restaurant plays fucking Biggie Smalls at, you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday night, super duper loud. And it's like, well, the guests who are here who know us. We do. They're they're (laughs) coming for that vibe. They're coming for that little bit of a different culinary scene where it's like you can get the fine dining. You can get all the all the traces with the beautiful glasses and the beautiful linens, and gorgeous wine and beautiful champagne, but also like kind of a party, you know. So that's kind of the way I feel about it. I love it, man. It's fantastic. So, uh, let me ask you this: Do you um, do you listen to do you listen to any podcasts? Uh, you know, it's funny. So, I listen to. I drive every day, right? Yeah, I, I was. That's what I was wondering because you have a good little commute. Yeah, um, I listen to, and I haven't listened to yours yet, but I will because uh, yeah, yeah. now I'm on it, so I'm definitely yeah, right. listening to it. <laughs> and Sean, Sean told me he said, "Hey, give it a listen." And I, honestly, I just heard about your podcast recently, yeah. um, but I love. Do you know a guy named Bill Simmons? He's a he's a podcast I guy. I know Bill Simmons. Yeah, I love Bill, yeah, Simmons. Bill Simmons. I love everything he does. Yeah, I listen. I almost exclusively listen to him on my drive to work. Bill Simmons, I fucking love you. That's um, awesome. I listen to his show. I think it's great. 
uh, re- the rewatchables. Like I just love that. I'm not even a huge like I like sports. Yeah. But for some reason, I just I just enjoy. Well, he's he's. A, I mean, he's you know he's a he's funny. He's uh, he started out writing a column years ago. I remember reading his stuff when like he was just some dude writing for for ESPN, some division of ESPN. Yeah, the Ringer. Yeah, yep. was, and he had this, and it was funny as shit. Yep. Like his columns were. All, I mean, he wrote this whole. Have you ever, have you ever read any of his old stuff? No, I haven't. He wrote this. I'm a big Al Pacino fan, and uh, he wrote this massive column uh, or post uh, comparing Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and who's the better actor and like but the way he goes about it he makes it so damn interesting yep. it's like this guy's just he's got a way with expressing he does ideas he's super interesting yeah yeah and it's funny I tend not to listen to um, culinary related things uh-huh. I also don't really watch a lot of culinary related TV it's kind of because like I'm all, I'm in it all the time. Yeah. So it's like sometimes things like that can actually stress me out and yeah. not not right. Like sometimes I don't like you know I mean Chef's Table is is fucking awesome. Just yeah. watching people at the pinnacle of their careers. Like who are some of the people that you've seen on there that really? I mean, there's there's the uh, ubiquitous Francis Malman episode that like I'm sure everybody knows and it's probably the most famous of all the episodes. Um, Why is that? Because he's just so. He's just so fucking cool. Yeah. He's just this Michelin-starred chef who was like, fuck it. I just want to go cook out in the woods and yeah. open so fire. So the guy down in uh, Patagonia. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. was yeah. fucking awesome. It's so awesome, so right? awesome. Oh, But yeah. not only that, like, just like he's, you know, he's like sitting, drinking wine with yeah. his young wife and his, you know, little kid. And he's got this dog and it's fucking gorgeous. Yeah. And yeah. you're just like, oh, fuck you, man. You, yeah, exactly. You, you dude, nailed it. You figured it out. Good for you. You, you won the whole lottery of life. All yeah. right. Um, <laughs> oh, the guy from the White Rabbit. Um, I loved that one. Where is it? Is that out in in, in Moscow? Oh, is it Moscow? Okay. I mean, there's so many. It's it's really. I'm I'm bad with the names. Everybody who knows me, can I was just curious. That. But I uh, that's one of the few shows that I do watch. Um, but besides that, I sort of avoid culinary stuff in general outside of work. Did you um Did you take away a lot from uh Union Square from Danny. Yeah, I mean his so books. Much. Like, did you read his book? Yeah, I mean everybody's read his book. Yeah, it's it's his amazing. Book. It's a phenomenal. So there's so many people that uh, I've interviewed over the years that the foundation for you know the way they deliver hospitality is literally from that book. Sure. Yeah, I mean he's um. So the cool thing is like I was working for him when he was writing the book. You know, so yeah. we got to sort of like get first copies of it. Um, it's it's super cliched, but he is more than what he seems on paper. Um, he is more than what he is in the public eye. He is a magnanimous leader. Um, he's the best leader I've ever seen in my life, and yeah. not just because you know he can uh, publicly speak, and but it's just how he inspires people. It's how he runs his business. It's how he trains his managers. Um, it's, he's real. He is the real deal. Like he is legitimately a, a good person. Um, his kids are cool. His wife is amazing. Like, you know, and I'm not, I'm not his best friend, you know. But I mean, the guy always remembered my name. It was such a weird thing, but he was such a big deal in New York, and he could still remember everybody's names. You know, yeah. all of his restaurants have a ton of employees, and you know, he remembers people's names. And and you know, he's got this massive empire now with Shake Shack. Um, but he's just still good to people. 
You know, yeah. I haven't worked for him for years. So maybe he's an asshole now. I have no idea. I assume he's not. Doubtful. Um, but, yeah. you know, he's just, he was a really good guy to work for and super inspiring and definitely sort of shaped who I am as a, as a manager, as a leader. That's awesome. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh, do you read? A little bit. A little bit. Cookbooks. Cookbooks. Yeah. Nothing, not, nothing heavy. Yeah. You know, I try to I try to keep my life pretty mellow outside of work. It's it's like a lot of stupid comedy shows. And I was gonna say you watch cartoon cartoons with your kids. No, oh yeah, a little bit, a little bit, probably probably more than I should, you know. Um, but yes, yeah, like you know, put on Thirty Rock and chill out. That's kind of it. I sit, I get home at 11, 12 o'clock at night, and it's like, a, put on something stupid and look at Facebook on my phone and fall asleep. You know. Who around here in Raleigh Durham do you uh, run around with or have you know respect for? Or, or, I mean, I know, have, obviously Sean. It's you know it's interesting. I, I have, I think I came down to North Carolina with with a bit of an ego, right? Like a New York guy, I was like, fucking come down here and kill it. And then it's like you start meeting the people. And it's like you meet Ashley, and she's so genuine and so fucking nice and so sweet and so talented. Ashley Christensen. Ashley Christensen. Yeah. yeah. And then you meet a guy like Scott, and you're like shit you're just a nice guy you're just a good dude and you're a good cook and you know it's like i sort of came down here with a chip on my shoulder thinking like i'm gonna kill it down here and i realized that no one here cares about that they just all want to be friends and, and make good they food together do particularly in raleigh and yeah. durham it's yeah, like for all sure. these this is why i'm i live in charlotte yep but i keep coming up here all the time because all of, there's just like this loose network of just fucking Badass, yeah, badass chefs and owners that are good people and they care about the community and they're not they're not out there with an ego they're they're out there just trying to provide something meaningful for the community they're yep. helping each other they're they're mentoring each other they're inspiring each other they're collaborating with each other they're giving back to the community That's it's freaking awesome they're um, it's really cool there's yeah it's it is it is an interesting it is a one-of-a-kind culinary scene down here and again everybody's everybody's so talented everybody's good like everybody's cooking good food you know it's funny i i tend to um i have a rule i don't i don't drink in raleigh um or very rarely do i drink in raleigh and that's just because i drive home every day and i'm yeah i drink and drive you'll see my red car over there but i get pulled over often i drive a loud ass red volkswagen ah, so i hear you man i get i get pulled over often so i just try to not like yeah you i try wanna, to not yeah. give them one more thing to give me trouble right. for so i i you know like i'll 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 be it not as much as i want but i you know like when i'm hanging out with chefs it's generally like matt kelly or you know some of the people there and then uh nick from pony source brewery is a good dude yeah, they're gonna be on the yeah he and uh rochelle is that his wife yeah, yeah. yeah. sean told me about them too they're gonna i just awesome. we have his uh exchange yep. text yesterday he's a good dude they're gonna be on there yeah he's, he's a super good guy and like he's a he's like you know he's kind of a like a quiet titan in our industry you know with that brewery just kills it yeah um, so he and i will grab drinks after work you know it's sort of always pretty loose like i'll just be like hey guys let's, let's, let's grab a drink you know but yeah i mean they're just everybody's dope everybody's cool god right here on this just literally right here Fucking right here you got uh, Van and Van Van Visa here at yep. Brewery Vavana and uh, Patrick uh, Woodson with them. Over yep. at, um, I mean, he, there he's at Brewery and then Bit Amanda and you got freaking uh, Sophia Wu down here at Mofu Shop and you. Got, I mean, there's just like and I'm leaving out other. There's this is right on it's the just street. It's just stone throwing. Every one of these people I, right at the corner. You've got now I know you and Chuck's yeah, Beasley's and ah. pools and now Poolside and then yeah. you know within a five mile radius is Crawford. 
Jolie yeah. and Stanberry. And yeah. it's like, there's just so many good restaurants like within, I mean, downtown Raleigh, I think is, and I hate to say it like this, because I think, I think Durham is an amazing culinary scene, but I think downtown Raleigh in particular, Raleigh in particular has just sort of blown up. And like the totally growth agree. rate is huge. There's always good restaurants coming yeah. in. I don't know the guy's name, but like the guy from Papa Shogun who worked for Wiley Dufresne at WD-50, you know, like there's just all these new cool talents coming into town and it's dope. It's awesome. Um, the, do you know Teddy Diggs? Yeah. He was, I, I went like two and a half weeks after he opened. Uh, I, I had him on the podcast just a couple weeks ago at Coronado. That's some good Oh damn. no, I, I was thinking of a different Teddy. Uh, I've never been, but I've seen, I've, I've checked out his stuff online, like that Roman style thing, crust pizza. Yeah. It looks dope. Dude, go down there sometime. The, that pizza is freaking good, is man. It? Oh my gosh, yes. It's fantastic. I'm a pizza freak. Like, I love pizza. Pizzas, to- pizza and burgers are my two most ordered things. I think that every, um, if you don't know this, I'll tell you this, and I'll boldly say this, Royale's got the best burger in Raleigh. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, Shit, sure. I wish you served lunch, man. Okay, I'm going to have to come back next time. I, will you really? Of course I will. Oh, um, you got to try it, dude. It's dope. I'm so in. I won't oversell it, but it's fucking good. And we, we worked with this company, this woman called, uh, her name's Annabelle. She runs this company called Michael's English Muffins. We serve our burger on an English muffin with Greer oh. cheese. I have this theory that every good restaurant in America, as long as you're like, okay, like a Laotian restaurant, like they shouldn't serve a burger because right, it would right. probably fucking yeah, be Yeah, it'd be kind of weird. But if you're like... French, Italian, American, put a burger on your menu burger. because honestly, so many people want burgers. Um, it's, it's sort of, it's a, it's a good, uh, gear for how good a restaurant is in my mind. Like if I go to a restaurant, they have a burger, I order it. If the burger's really good, I'll go back. But I'm the same way with pizza. Um, so I'm excited to try that place, but yeah, dude, you're going to try the burger. It's fucking good. I can't wait, man. The, so I interviewed him. We got done. And he made me some uh, lamb meatballs yeah. as an appetizer. I took those. To, oh, because it was at like four, four o'clock in the afternoon. And I, I do this fasting. So I had not eaten since like the night before. I was starving. Ate his meatballs in like five seconds. And then he brought out a pizza. And, uh, and he goes over and he starts his staff meeting. And literally like five minutes later, I took it up there. He goes, who the hell ate the rest of the pizza? And I was like, dude, I just fucking yeah, That was it. unbelievable pizza. Yep. Very good. That guy's awesome. Um, well, then, uh, man, I want to have your freaking burger. I want to ask you, tell me about your tattoos. Uh, I don't have any tattoos, but I love them. I'm um, always curious about them. Yeah, so a lot of this on, on one of these arms, this is sort of all from uh, tattoos, right? Time and a place. You know, yeah. Like the story. This is all from sort of c- the culinary world in New York. Like we got, so I got this big ass skull on my arm. Yeah. Um, there's like 10 or 12 of us in New York. We all worked at Union Square Cafe at the same time. Okay. Um, we all have skulls tattooed on us. And it was because ba- back then in, in that environment, you, you would, like badass line cooks, you call yourself a pirate. You know, and I know that sounds real cheesy, but uh, it was kind of like, like that it, like scurvy yeah. lifestyle of yeah. like drinking and smoking and, yeah. you know, pillaging and like just, it was just a dirty life, you know? Yeah. It was like fucking pirates. So we all took that to heart. So we all got them. And it's really cool, too, because all those dudes, like everybody's like kind of a grown up now and all own restaurants. So it's it's super cool. You, you guys all have chest of gold buried on your restaurant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then this is a lot of this stuff is like family. Like the so my wife and my mother are both Pisces. So I've got two okay. fish. Right. My daughter's an Aries. So I've got the ram. My son's name is Luca Bear. 
so oh. we call him Bear. Um, so we got the bear there. My daughter drew this. That's my That's wife. Freaking awesome, my man. That is so cool. Um, oh, man. Then, I love that. So, like, you know what I talked about? Like, the, um, so the, the, this tattoo is from Ferdinand the Bull, right? The, the, ch- the children's story. Yeah. Um, and I always love this. Now, this, this actually came from when I was cooking. Um, a chef I worked for used to always refer to people as bulls, right? He'd be like, that dude's a bull in the kitchen. He's fucking, he'll tear you up. And the, the guy sort of looked at, at the aggression of people as a good thing. And it fucking tweaked me out because I was like, why is that a good thing? You know, I was like, right. you can still be a strong leader. You can still be a bull, but you can also fucking chill and smell the flowers, you know? And so, like, that's why I got that's that tattooed on me because, yeah. you know, it's a, as, as fucking cheesy and cliche as it sounds, it's like, you know, I'm a big guy. Like, I, like, you know, I'm a tourist too. So I love, I relate to that bull thing. But like, I've always found that I'm never, I just never had that aggression in me that, that some people sort of prided yeah. in our business. And it was like, no, you can be a bull. You can be a leader, but you don't, you don't have to have that in you. You can be the chill guy who wants to smell the flowers and enjoy life a little bit. Do you do jujitsu? No, I don't. You should do jujitsu, no, man. Because like, that's like all those guys. Are I'm like, like a mild pacifist. I've never been in a fight in my life. I've never thrown my fists in anger. Yeah. Like I just, I don't have it in me. Yeah. I'm a yeah. real chill dude. I'm a big guy, so no one, people don't really no, fuck with me too much. Yeah. No, but it seems like a lot of those guys that do that stuff, they're, uh, they're really peaceful. They're yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's I, a lot. I get it. There's a lot of stuff. Do you ever? Uh, do you listen to Joe Rogan? Have you ever listened to any of his mm-hmm. podcasts? He's got a lot of these guys on those MMA guys, and they're all like these total badasses if they had to be sure but they're all like they use that stuff as a tool to find peace and it's presence like a, and it's like it's, buddhist sort of yes, mellow yeah. yeah i get it and jujitsu of course is all about not a t- it's about leveraging sure. you know your your opponent's yep. aggression against them sure. like so you get the bull dude that's out there and you you using their weight you use that and yeah. you wind up being like dude i don't have to be like that but look who pinned who yep. my father <laughs> was actually a judo instructor for oh like really 20 or 30 years and he always used to tell me about that kind of stuff, but then never wanted to like teach me anything. I don't yeah. Know, weird. But yeah, so I, I totally get that. That's cool, man. Yep. That's cool. Anything else you want to rap about? Uh, no, man. I got to, I got to do a, I'm doing an Italian dinner tonight. Yeah. In the I restaurant. don't want you to have to cook a burger if you got, you got no, a lot going on. Are you kidding on. me? It's ego, man. I want All right. You to try I do. Well, that's, that's good. Shit. Cause that's once really again, good. I have not eaten a bite of food today. I got, oh, I got up at four thirty. Yeah. And you're going to sit and you're going to have a burger. All right, cool. Then, but then you got to go back on the podcast later, you know, and be like, I fuck, I had that burger. It's well, really I will, because good. you know what I do is I do, I record like a little intro to all yep. these. So after I do them, I'll say, you know, um, here's what we talked about, blah, sure. blah, blah. And you know, here it is. And then it, so it's a little quick two minute intro. So I will, I love that. Yeah. Sick, dude. Can I get it like medium rare? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. I want, we just cook it the way you would. You would That's how you I would, do it. Yeah, cook it there you go. Rare. Yeah, cook it the yeah. way you want. Yeah, man. Dude, this was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you very it's much. Awesome. Appreciate it. All yeah, right, man. y'all. That's a wrap. See you.